We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. some good news. And today we want to talk to you and present to you the gift of life. Say with me, life, life, life. This week I received a gift from someone, a Starbucks card. Anyone would like that gift? Come on, I'm not really a Starbucks coffee man. I've tried coffee every way, flappoed, slappoed, chapoed, whatever you want to call hot, cold, medium, frosty, icy, whatever. Don't like coffee. Kelly had one of those... um, what they call it, mocha, uh, I don't know what it was. It was one with gingerbread and, and coffee lattes. Why is it when you go to Starbucks, it's like five names for everything. It used to be just a coffee, but now I've got to have a coffee, small, grande, light, hold this, hold this, extra this, and all that. So anyway, I got a Starbucks card this week, and when I opened the little envelope it was on, here's what it said in the top of the envelope. Are you ready? It's a wonderful card. Use your Starbucks card this holiday for a chance to win everything from sweet surprises to the ultimate gift of all, Starbucks for life. Wow, Starbucks. And you know the sad reality is most of us would think that we had experienced life if we got Starbucks for life. But we're here to give you something greater than Starbucks can ever give you. We're coming here to give you the truth of God's word. Look at the scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. It says this, For since by man, here's the thought, by one man came death. By man, notice now man is capitalized because it's not just any man, it's the man, it's Jesus Christ. For since by man came death, but by Jesus, through Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, because of one man's decision, now sin entered the world. Man dies because of one man's decision. But notice what it says, so now in Christ all shall be made Alive. Don't you love that? That because of what man did, Christ came and he did something a whole lot better. And he has made it possible that all should be alive. Well, I just don't feel alive. Christ said that you can be. He said he's made it possible for you to be alive. And that's what we're talking about. Sin produces death. But God has come to give each one and every one of us life. That's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. And we're going to read the story again today from Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump back into the Christmas story that we began last Sunday. We continued it Wednesday. We're going to overlap a little bit from Wednesday. But we're going to read beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. In other words, taxes. 
wasn't good news. It was, we want you to be taxed, so you need to be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. To be registered with his wife, or his, with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, we want you to understand this. She wasn't just with child, she's about to give child. Okay? She, how do we know this? Next verse. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. Have you ever noticed in the story, it just seems like things are going from bad to worse? doesn't start great in the fact of they get an invitation or they get a notice that you've got to go because we're going to tax you some more. And we're not just going to come to your town. You've got to go to where you were born from. So you've got a long journey. I think it was about 18, 19 miles they had to journey on a donkey. Now, I don't know much about childbirth and things like that. But if you want to induce labor, probably an 18 or 19 hour donkey ride is probably a good way to do something. Come on, it wasn't just a smooth highway. It was up hills and downs, rocks and everything. Can you picture Joseph along the way? He's probably going, sorry, Mary, sorry, Mary. Oh, sorry, Mary. Are you okay? Are you okay? Because every bump on the road, she was feeling. There was no shocks on that donkey. Come on now. She was feeling everything. It wasn't good. And then it gets bad to worse because they get there. And I'm sure the whole while he's saying, just hold on, Mary. I'm going to have you in a bed soon. You're going to be at rest. You're going to have everything. We'll be fine. Everything's going to be good, Mary. Just hold on. And Mary, sorry. There's no room. But we've got something for us. We've got a stable. We've got a cave. Now, that's not really good news because if you've ever been around one animal, they stink. You imagine a whole fleet of animals. I know that's not what you call them, but you imagine a whole group of animals, a whole herd. You notice a whole load of sheep and a whole load of cows and just everything. They just stink. They don't clean up after themselves. So here they are. So I'm sure Joseph's saying, well, Mary, I'm sorry. We're going to make the best of this. Here's a bed. You just lay down to sleep. And I'm sure the whole time he's thinking to himself, my God, surely there is nothing worse that can happen than what's just taken place this day. And then all of a sudden, Mary begins to scream. The baby's coming. And he thinks, wow, my worst nightmare is here. My child is going to be born in the middle of a stable. Isn't that very similar many times to where we can find our lives? It just seems like one bad thing after the other. When am I going to get that break? When am I going to see that breakthrough? When's there anything going to be changed? But as I said Wednesday, I want you to hear again today, and that is this. No matter how much bad news there was going on, it could not, nor can it, stop the good news from coming forth. Come on, no matter the circumstance or the situation, Jesus was still born. Come on, I said Jesus was still born. And he was born exactly where God purposed uh, that which was fulfilled in that life. And you would think, well, hold on a second, in a stable, in a no room? Yes. Because again, you can draw parallels from everything with this. 
But the Saviour, our Saviour, was born. Not a Saviour, the Saviour was born. The one who was willing to give his life so you and I can go free. So let's read on. Looked bad, but let's read on. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20, it says this. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Incidentally, do not be afraid. Fear not. Is recorded in the word of God 365 different times. That's for every day of the year that you and I could live. Every circumstance and situations we would face on any given day, God has a word for you. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Come on, I'm with you. I'm there. I'm going to help you and I'm going to strengthen you. The angel says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards all men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. Say with me, haste. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the things or sayings which were told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I'm sure she was overwhelmed by just everything that had taken place. Ever feel like that? Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. I just want to jump in, if I could, to the story. If we could go back to verse 10, it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all People, I bring to you, come on, good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. Paraphrased, here's what the angel said. Are you ready? Here's what the angel said that night. Life is now available for everyone. Come on, life is now available. It's fully possible through what? Jesus, the Savior who's come. Now there's joy to the world. Now everyone can experience that life because Jesus has come. The only requirement is to accept that life, to accept that gift. And I love what the shepherds did in response to the message they received. You can see it in verse 15. They called a meeting. It doesn't go into the detail, but I'm just adding a little bit to this. But think about it. They've seen something. And I'm sure that after the angels went, they're like saying to each other, okay, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about this. What did you just see? I mean, did you just see what I... I mean, did you see the angels too, or was it just me? Did you hear what they said? Well, what are we going to do with this? Look, they called a meeting. So when the angels had gone away from into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. You see, they had a choice to make that night. 
What would they do with the news that had been delivered to them? Here's what they chose to do. They said, let us now. Come on, say with me, now. They didn't hold back. They didn't say, well, maybe tomorrow. Let's go and look. They said, let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing. I love how they describe it. It, it, They don't even know what it is. It's just a thing. This, what is it? I mean, a saviour, what were they going to see? They didn't know. Words left them. They didn't know how to describe it. But notice what? They want to go and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, and they came with haste. They didn't delay. They ran, they ran and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I want you to see this. They concluded that something special had happened that night. They were going to go and see. They didn't understand it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't get it all. But they were not allowing that to hinder them from going to life and discovering life. In fact, they ran to that place. It's amazing though, as I read this story, and I'm always reading the Bible and saying, God, make it fresh like I've never read it before. I began to think to myself, what they were expecting, they were probably very disappointed when they arrived. Why? Because they were expecting a saviour, a messiah, a king. But they discovered a stable. They discovered a manger. Something just didn't go. Angels filling the skies, but yet a manger? A little baby? What? 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 Did we miss something? I'm sure they were saying to each other, I mean, did we miss something? I mean, did I mishear what was said? It doesn't seem to fit the bill. It doesn't seem to fit the description. It doesn't go with the billboard. Have you ever bought those things that you just see on TV? And they're so great and you can do this and you can do that and you get it and you realize it doesn't do it for itself. Come on, you've got to work it a little bit. Have you ever seen those little, those little furry things that they have and they like crawl all over you and stuff? And it's in this little bag and you've got to get it. But then you realize there's this little string attached to it and everything and you've got to do all that stuff. It just doesn't do it for itself. And here they are. Wow. This isn't really what we expected. This is not really what we thought it was going to be. That many times can be the experiences of our lives too. Give your life to Christ, you'll never have another problem. That's what we expect. But the reality is, it's not all smooth sailing. In fact, there's a lot of rough waters. In fact, there's still going to be struggles. There's still going to be pains. There's still going to be problems. But it's not really what we many times expected it to be. But I want to tell you, even though it's not what you expect, it's still life. Because it's still Jesus. It's still Jesus. I don't want you to be disappointed today. But we can be. Come on, let's just be real. We can be disappointed. We can be disappointed with where we find ourselves. We can be disappointed with because it's not what we expected. We've got to push through those feelings. We've got to push through those plans that we fail have fallen by the wayside and they're gone. We've got to push through the ideas and the ideals that perhaps we've had. We've got to push through other people's opinions because, man, they're out there and they're going to tell you. We've got to push through perspectives. And from the get-go, it wasn't as it looked. But may I remind you today that even in a stable, he's still the King of Kings. And he's still the Lord of Lords. 
You know, as I look around and I was thinking about this, just the expectancy and Christianity and what people think and see and what they want it to be, I've heard a lot of people that have kind of been turned off to Christianity. That they just don't want it because of how it appears. Because, let's just be honest, the symbol of Christianity is what? The cross. The cross. The symbol of Christianity in itself, it's not a nice symbol because it represents sacrifice and it represents pain. It's a bloody cross too. Why? Because Jesus died upon it. Thank God it's an empty cross. I hate to see a cross with Jesus still on it because you're you're old school. You're 2,000 years in the back. Come on, the cross is empty. Come on, it's an empty cross. And even further than that, it's an empty tomb too because he not only died but he rose again. But the very symbol of our faith can be a hard symbol to bear of a sacrifice and a death. And so so many times people can look and say, Christian, I don't know. Maybe today you can be there and you're still kind of not sure. You know, in talking with people through the years that I've been doing this, there's really four reasons and main reasons why people say they're turned off to Christianity. Are you ready? Here's what they've personally told me. Number one, are you ready? It's a boring life. It's a boring life. I mean, you ain't saved if you think it's a boring life. Come on now, do I have anyone in the house with me with that? So, so it's a boring life. So I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, well, I've got to admit to you that I obviously haven't reached that boring stage yet. I'm 30 plus years into this Christian life and I haven't found it to be boring in any way. In fact, living by faith is completely the opposite to boring because, man, sometimes I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I've been faithful to God and I'm trusting God and I'm doing everything right. And I've sometimes got to have that faith. That's pretty exhilarating. That's pretty, sometimes a little bit stressful. Come on, let's just be real. But don't tell me that's a boring life as I'm sitting and I'm anticipating God to do great and mighty things. It's not a boring life. If you are bored with your Christianity, it's a religion and it's not a relationship. Come on, it's about going to church and paying your dues. That's not what salvation is about. Salvation is a daily walk. It says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's about being in communion with God, having a chat with God. That's what prayer is. God, I'm having a tough time. Would you help me? It's about hanging out and just being best mates. Come on, secret handshake. God, yeah, 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 yeah. It's about a relationship. Relationships are not boring. So if it's a boring life, sorry, you need to get saved. Just be nice to you today. If it's a boring life, then you haven't experienced life. Here's what they say, you ready? Here's the second one. Have you ever heard this? It's old-fashioned. Come on, it's just old-fashioned. I mean, that went out years ago. I mean, come on, get a life. Get real. Get something new. That's just a crutch. That's just something for you to build your life on. You know, my answer to that is this. It's old-fashioned. The answer to that is, maybe it is, but it's truth that still works. Come on, it's truth that still works. You see, the world wants to paint it to look irrelevant. The world wants to say that the Bible is out of date. But you know, I read a scripture in Hebrews that says the word of God is living. Anything that's alive grows, develops, and builds. The Word of God is not obsolete for the situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in. In fact, any problem and any situation that you will ever face in your life, the answer is still in the Word of God. 
If you'll just open the book and look, God's answer is still there for you. So we can say it's old-fashioned all we want, but the truth is still the truth. The enemy wants us to turn away from it. Why? Because he doesn't want us to live in the rewards and the benefits of it. I wish someone would help me preach in the house today. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We're talking about relationships today. We're talking about relationships. In our culture today, it is totally and completely acceptable for people to have sex before marriage. After all, everyone else is doing it. And everyone else does it. Also today in our world, in our society, it's totally normal to have or see screwed up marriages, marriages that don't last, and marriages that are falling apart. So here's the bottom line. Are you ready? If you want what everyone else has, then do what everyone else is doing. Come on, if you want what everyone else has, then you do what everyone else is doing. Or say with me, or there's another better way. Come on, there's another better way. If you want something better, listen to me, you need to do something different. And that has to be of a different standard to the world. It may sound ancient and old-fashioned, but let me tell you something. Making love, love making, is reserved for marriage, and that is it, period. Call it old-fashioned all you want. That's God's word. So see this. When you are dating, you now have two choices. Choice number one, that you can mutually, together, decide that you are going to honor God in your relationship. That you are going to abstain, that you're going to remain pure before God. Or the second choice that you have is this, that you will sin together. I know you're not shouting me down today, but there's only two choices. You're going to mutually agree together that we are going to honor God with our relationship. And we're going to put God first. Or secondly, we're going to sin together. Oh, I don't like that, Pastor. That's just how it is. You've got to call a spade a spade. You've got to call the truth the truth. So then here is my question for each one of you. What foundation do you want to build your marriage on? Because now there's two foundations. One that honors God and one that sins before God. And what's going to be the best for your marriage? What's going to be the best for your future? You see, we can say it's old-fashioned all we want, but I'm just here to tell you that the truth is still the truth. The truth is still the best way. I don't care what everyone else is saying. I don't want what everyone else is doing. So therefore, if I don't want the results of what they're doing, I've got to do something different. And I'm going to go back to the old book. And I'm going to go back to the truth. And I'm going to live life the right way, a life that honors God and is going to see the best from God in my life. That's just a little snippet of what's coming in February. You need to be here. It's the love month. We're going to have a great time in February. And it's not just going to be for the married. It's going to be for the singles. And here's one of the things that we're going to push in February. Just a little snippet for you. And that is this. Stop looking for Mr. Right or stop looking for Mrs. Right and start being Mr. Right. And start being Mrs. Right. Start being the person that that person is looking for in their life. So where were we? It's boring. It's old-fashioned. Here's the next one. You ready? Christianity is all about restrictions. It's all about restrictions. 
And unfortunately, the church has to take some blame for this because there have been entire denominations that everything they are is built upon what you don't do. It's just they make it look so bad that if you sit down and ask them, well, tell me about Christianity, they won't tell you about the fullness of God. They'll just tell you the laws of what you don't do. You don't do this, 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 this. Oh, so what do I get to do? Go to church. What else do I get to do? Go to church. Well, what else do I get to do? Pray and read your Bible. I mean, come on, there's got to be more. And there is more. Because it's not all about restrictions. Again, I'm not seeing this. When people say Christianity is all about restrictions, I've said this to people all the time. If you think it's boring, old-fashioned and restricted, come and live with me for a few days and you'll have some fun. It's not that I'm sinning, I'm just living a life. I'm living in the fullness that God has for us in our lives. Now understand this, that there are things that I don't need to do as a child of God. There are those things that clearly he instructs me in his word and commands me that I need to stay away from. I like the word he uses many times in the Bible, I need to abstain. To stay away from. But for what reason? What reason? Always for my own good, for the greater gain and the benefit for my life. Let me illustrate this to you. If you've got a hot stove in your house, would I be loving or unloving as a parent not to educate my children? If they touch that, they're going to get burnt. Some people can say, hey, well, they'll only touch it once and then after they'll burn, they'll learn their lesson. Maybe they will learn their lesson, but you know what also can happen? They can bear the scar for the rest of their life. So there is a way that we can learn without getting burnt. Is everyone with me on this? Oh, we can learn through pain, and unfortunately a lot of us have been to hard knock come on university. We've learned through the pains and the struggles. But you know what? We can also educate and teach people by what? By our instruction and our guidance. And I wonder what's the best. Hmm. I wonder if it's better to learn through instruction and guidance and someone else's pain or through you inflicting pain on yourself. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize what's the best one to choose. So let me bring it full circle and ask this. Am I restricting my child's life by saying no to a hot stove? And other things of harmful nature? Am I restricting their lives? Am I taking from their lives? Oh, they won't have any fun in life because you're restricting them. No, of course I'm not. What am I doing? I'm protecting them from harm. Come on, and I'm steering them in the right pathways of blessing. Come on, if you're thinking it's restrictive, come on, you've got the wrong picture. Come on, we're trying to steer them away from the harm and the pitfalls and the traps and the lies of the enemy. And we're steering them into the truth of God and hopefully a pain-free future. But that would be great if that happens. But then there's something called the sin nature that every one of us has inside of us. And it still wants to fight us at times because you know why? We still want our way. I want it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Don't care what my parents say. Don't care what my wife says. Don't care what my boss says. I'm going to do it my way because my way is the best. Once they see my way, they're going to love my way. You know what I love about the Word of God? It's got a scripture for everything. The Word of God has a verse for you. If you feel like that, then you've got a verse. God's got a verse for you. Here it is, Proverbs 14, verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right 
to man. What does that mean? I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want. Because I'm living in complete liberty. Woo! Isn't life great? I can do whatever I want. I can come in when I want. I can spend my money wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. Because woo, woo, it's my way. It's my ways. Before you get too excited, there's a but. Come on, say there's a but. But its end is the way of death. Hmm. So I wonder where your liberty of doing whatever you want lands you. Telling you where it's going to land you in death, the opposite of life, and what God has for you. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the gift of life, the gift that God has of life for you, not death. Man's way, my way. Oh, it appears to be liberous, has so much liberty, but it's death. Christianity is restricted. No, it's life giving. It's life given because God's way is life. Quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I know I've got down a lot of scripture, 11 through 20. I haven't got time today. Read it for yourself. But in this passage, the title of the passage is this, Choose Life or Death. And let's jump into verse 15 and then we're going to jump to verse 19. It says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Come and say with me, two choices. You've got life, which is good, or you've got death, which is evil. Jump to verse 19. And I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you. Who? Each one of us. Come on, me. Each one of us. I've set life and death, blessing and cursing. Life, blessing. Death, cursing. Therefore, choose life. I mean, duh. I mean, how many would love to go to school and take a test and the teachers circle every right answer on your test? You know what happened to most of us? We'd look and say, oh, I think they're trying to trick us. Sounds right, but it could be something else because there's no way that they would give us the answer. Listen, this is how good God is. God doesn't want you to fail. He gives you the answer. Come on, God's given you the answer. He said there's life and there's death. And he said, I would that you would choose Life that both you and your family, your descendants, your future may live. Do you see? It's more than just you right now. It's your future. It's your life. It's other people around you. And God's saying, if you don't know the choice to make, I do. And I want to make it for you. It's like circled with big arrows. And God says, choose this way. But what do we do? Oh, I don't know about that. It's probably a trick question. I'm still going to try. What a fool we would be. And God says there's two choices and he's telling us the right choice to make. So that would mean if I don't make his choice, I'm making the wrong choice. Oh, the world would tell you, oh, there is no wrong choice. You just do whatever you feel. The end thereof is death. Oh, the Christianity may appear boring. It may be old-fashioned. It may be restrictive. But the opposite is actually true. There's actually a fourth reason too, and I hate to even bring this one up, but there is a fourth reason why people turn away from God and don't want to be involved, and that is this, because of other Christians. I just want to tag that with so-called, so-called Christians. And I want to challenge each one of you today, because here's the challenge. 
You better be the reason people are in church and not the reason they're not in church. You better be the reason they're asking for what God wants to do in their life and not the reason for why they're saying, I don't want God. You better be the one circling life and living that life, steering them in the right direction and the one that's not taking them away for that. Okay, moving on. Say with me, life. Life, life. Here's a good scripture on life. John 10.10. I think it sets it all in proper perspective. It presents the truth to each one of us. It says, the thief comes to... Steal, kill, and destroy. He packages it a little bit different to that though, doesn't he? Come on, I said he packages it a little bit different to that. He doesn't make it what it is. But notice it says, the thief does not come except to. In other words, this is all he has to offer. This is all the world has to offer. And I know some of you young people, some of you older people, you say, oh no, that's old fashioned. No, this is still the truth. And the truth that you know is going to set you free. I just want you to see, it's packaged different, but this is all it is. This is all the world has to offer. We're talking about the gift of life today. And the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy and take that from you. You see, this is not the type of life that he promised promises you, oh, go this way, you'll have the best friends, you'll have the nicest cars, people will be falling all over you, you're going to be happy, you're going to find what you're looking for in life. I want to tell you this, the enemy cannot give you anything, and he definitely cannot give you life. All he can do is take life from you. Satan is a created being. Have you been able to create life? No, he is no different to you. He's an anointed cherub, but he was still created by God. And he was not given creative abilities to produce life. There's only one that can give life, and that's Jesus. So all he can do is steal life. So if the enemy's telling you this is the way to life, I want you to tell you he cannot give you life. He's incapable of being able to give that to you. The only thing he can do is take it. The only thing he can do is steal it from you. But he makes it look like it's everything you want. He makes it look like it's everything that you desire. Come on, he he hits all the requirements. He dangles the carrots. He, He knows and he makes it look good for you. Hebrews 11 verse 25 I believe says it really well. It's in reference to the life of Moses, what he chose, but it's still a great picture of sin. It says, And Moses choosing rather to suffer with the afflictions of the people of God than rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses could have so easily lived in a palace. He could have been the next in charge. He could have lived the life. But the Bible says he chose a different way. A harder way, but yet a way that was free from the passing pleasures of sin. That's temporary is what it means. New Living Translation says the fleeting pleasures of sin. Another translation says the short-lived satisfactions. may satisfy you right now, but it's short-lived. Because Satan can't give you life. He can only take life. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 7 verse 13 that enter by the narrow gate for broad is the way or wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there's many going on it. 
because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few on it. You see the picture we have, just because it's a narrow gate, we think it's a narrow restricted way. Come on, the gate is the cross as we come through the cross, but when we step through the cross, there's a whole world of horizons that is open for each one of us. Oh yes, there's things that we need to do, but it's not so restrictive that it's miserable, but there's few who walk on it. Why? Because everyone wants the way of life, which is really the way of death. But Satan says it's life and he is still fooling people with the same tactics today. Let's read on John 10.10. Jesus says, but I have come. Here's the reason of Christmas. Here's the gift of Christmas. Here's the reason Christ was born. I have come that you may have life. And life what? Abundantly. More abundantly. Hmm, doesn't sound much like a boring, restricting miserable, old-fashioned life to me. God says you can have a surplus, more than you can handle, more than you can need, so much life. Why? Because He's a more than enough God. Jesus came for you to live with so much and not too little. Come on, Jesus came for you to live with so much and not too little. I wonder how you're living today, with so much or too little. Remember the children of Israel. The children of Israel found themselves in Egypt. Where were they? They were in bondage. That was a place of not enough. Come on, so what did they do? They went into a wilderness, a place of just enough, because God provided for them. But where was it God wanted them to be? In the promised land. And the promised land was what? A land of more than enough. But when trouble and heartaches and struggles came and life happened, where did they want to be? They wanted to be back in a place of not enough. Not even just staying in a place of just enough. They said, wow, if we could just go back to Egypt, at least we had this, this. No, they were in bondage. They were in slavery. It doesn't matter how good you think it was. Your answers are not behind you. Your answers are ahead of you. Come on, God has more than enough for each one of us. But yet so many times we want to go back to that life. We want to be a part of that life because we're blinded to the truth of what it really is because Satan wants to kill us, to steal from us and to destroy our lives. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved that He gave that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. In other words, He said, I've come that you may have life, but not just life, eternal life. Life that never ends. Life that begins right here, right now. Come on, it's not just someday when we get to heaven. God wants us to have a little bit of heaven on earth right now. That we would enjoy the fullness of God right now. Not be miserable and depressed. What kind of advert is that to God? He says, I want you to have an abundance. And it's not just in heaven. It's right now. Right now in my life physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. God wants me to have abundance of life. Are you living that life? I want to show you another great story from the Bible. It's called a parable. Jesus often taught in parables. And here's what a parable was. Jesus would take circumstances and situations that people would see all around them every day, like a sower, like a fisherman. Jesus would take these things and he would what? He would show them through that a heavenly comparison. So really a parable is this. It's an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. So here's the parable that we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 15. And it's the parable of the prodigal son. 
the prodigal son or the lost son. And as we read this, I just want you to know this, that you and I are the son in this story. And that the father is Jesus. The father is God. So as we read this, I want you to put yourself there. I'm the son or I'm the daughter. I'm the person in this story. And Jesus is the father. So read with me, Luke 15, begin in verse 11. It says, now he said, a certain man had two sons and the youngest of them said, Father, give me the portion of good that fails me, falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He wasted it with prodigal living. Do we have another slide or is that it? No, we don't have another scripture with that. Okay, and he wasted it with prodigal living. And going on to verse 16, it says, let me turn my Bible, old school. It says this, it says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, because he began to be in want. And they sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, because no one had given him anything. No one had given him anything. I want to give you three points of life today. Are you ready? Point number one. True life is only in Jesus. True life is only in Jesus. He tried it all. What did he do? He said, I want to go out and live. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of what you're telling me to do. I want to go out. I want to spread my wings. That's what they tell us today. You just need to go and spread your wings. Come on, you just need to test the waters. You just need to try it. That's one of the worst things that you can ever do is try it. Because, you know, alcoholics today are alcoholics because they just tried a beer one day. Dry addicts are addicts today because they just tried one hit. If you don't try it, you're not going to fall victim to it. And it's a slippery slope because the enemy cannot give life. He's just wanting to take your life. People say, oh, you've just got to experience life. Come on, you've just got to go out there and experience life for yourself. Well, he did that. And guess what happened? It got worse and worse. It got worse and worse until he's broke, he's alone, and he's starving in a pig pen. It doesn't get any worse than that. And again, may I remind you that that's not the life that Satan presents and says that's going to happen to you. He doesn't suggest that in any way. But within each one of us, there's something that I call a God-shaped void. There's a God-shaped void within each one of us that can only be filled by him. Hasten the God-shaped void. So what do we do? Like that young man, we try to find everything else out there. Money, finance, wealth, drugs, women, men, fast cars, anything that we can, we try to find those things that can fill a God-shaped void. We do everything we can and stuff it in as hard as we can to make it work, but it won't work. Because all it does is creates a greater void inside of us. And therefore, a greater void takes more stuff to try to fill and to pack in there, and then the downhill spiral picks up speed. I like to illustrate what I mean by Scripture, so you can't say, oh, that's just your opinion. Look what it says in James 1, verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Drawn away from what? Drawn away from life. 
drawn away to believe a lie, that this is life, this is where you want to be. And how does the enemy draw us away? He draws us away by our own desires. He desires the things that we have. Well, I just want to be successful in life. Well, hey, he's going to work with that desire and he's going to show you what the world says is success, but you've got to keep your eyes on what God says is success. Because you're going to be drawn away, but he uses your desires. You see, he's key with that. We laughed about this in the nine o'clock service. Come on, ladies, if you want someone tall, dark and handsome, come on, short and blonde is probably not going to do it for you. That's not going to be a temptation for you. You're just going to walk on past and say, that's not the one because that's not what I want. But Satan's going to put what you want in front of you. And that what you want may have everything else, but I'm telling you, if they don't have Jesus, they have nothing. They have nothing. And you've got to be so careful because he works with your desires. And what happens to your desires? Your desires, then they conceive. Something conceives inside of you. And guess what? It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, what? Brings forth death. There's something here that you've got to see, and that is this. You think you can control the life that you're living, but let me tell you something. After your desire has given into that thing, that thing now is in control of your life. Because that thing then takes root inside of your life, and it begins to grow. It begins to control you. And you may say, oh, the Christian life is full of restrictions. Let me tell you what restriction is when the enemy is in control of your life. Because you may think you're in control all you want, but you aren't. You can't give up drinking. You can't give up drugs. You can't walk away from that. Oh yes I can if I want to. Well then why don't you? You can't. Why? Because it's what? It's controlling your life. It's growing inside of your life and its final result is what? It wants to kill your life. Listen to the message Bible. It says sin grows up to adulthood. Oh puppies are cute. Oh puppy cute, cute, cute. Puppies grow. They don't eat much. They eat a lot. They don't poop and pee much. They poop and pee a lot. They, they eat things. They destroy things. Oh, it's cute. It's nice. My desires. But it grows. It grows. It grows. And the bigger it grows, the more it takes to feed. The more it takes of your time. The more it takes of your energy because it's zapping every bit of life from you. Message Bible says sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Here's what we say though. Are you ready? We've got an answer for everything. That will never happen to me. If you are saying that will never happen to me, then you're saying today it probably already is. Because if you're trying to justify your actions, then you're already justifying a sin that's in your life. So you need to watch, because if you're saying, oh, that's never going to happen to me, then you just don't realize it yet, but it already is. It's time you've got to choose life. You've got to choose Jesus. Because true life is only in Jesus. Let's read on. Luke 15, 17 through 21. But when he came to himself, Message Bible says that brought him to his senses. I mean, my God, having everything and having nothing and being left alone, if that won't bring you to your senses, I don't know. I don't know how many times God has to deal with your heart and, and bring situations and circumstances. You better start coming to your senses while you've still got life in your body because the Bible says God's Spirit's not always going to strive with man. What does that mean? His grace has a limit maybe for your life too and you're maybe not going to be able to keep flirting with those things and getting away with it because the Bible says if you play with fire, you're going to be burnt. 
So he came to himself. New Living Translation. When he finally came to his senses, what did he say? How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Notice what he's saying. I know what I've done. I know where I'm at. I deserve it. Here's all I want to be. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Point number two, true life is through repentance and forgiveness. True life comes through repentance and forgiveness. You've got to first realize you're wrong. So you can turn to the one that can make it all right. You can't forgive yourself. Others can't forgive you. There's only one that can, and that's Jesus. And please note his position of repentance. I love his position. He didn't come back and say, man, I'm just going to bust back in there and say, hey, Dad, what up, buddy? I want my bedroom back. I want my car back. I want my job back. In fact, I don't want a job because I don't want to work no more. I just want everything. Come on, give me, give me, give me, give me. No, no, no. He said, he went back in such a way. He says, I'm going to go back and say I'm going to be a servant. And he knew what a servant meant because he had servants to take care of him. That meant now he had to do whatever needed to be done at whatever time. He didn't have the choices and the decisions. Other people were making those for him. But he said, you know what? The pathway and the life I've chose, that's the best I can maybe have. He swallowed all of his pride. He came with complete humility. He was more than just being sorry. You know, there's something about people being sorry. I wrote down four things about sorry. Most people are sorry for four reasons. You know, ready? Number one. Because they were caught. I'm sorry because I'm caught. Sorry. But in your mind right there, you're just saying, wow, I got busted. But next time, you're already thinking out how you're going to do it again and not get caught this time. Then there's a second way. You ready? People say sorry to manipulate other people. If I'm saying sorry, then you've got to let me back into the house. If I'm saying sorry, then you've got to move on because you're a Christian after all. So you've got to forgive. Then there's the third way, huh? To get out of trouble. A lot of people say sorry to get out of trouble. I used to try and do that. Didn't work much. But used to, before I was going to get a spanking from my parents, I'd cry and say, I'm sorry, I think it was hurt. I think it would help. But I found it didn't help none. Come on, I found it didn't help none. In fact, probably made my mum and dad a little bit more angry and frustrated and, and gave them a little bit more swing in their step. You know what I'm saying? And then there's the fourth reason. I'll say sorry because there's going to be a next time. Caught right now, but there's going to be a next time. There's been sorry and then there's repenting. I said there's sorry and then there's repentance. He modeled repentance to us. I'm not worthy. I, everything I have, I desire, deserve. I brought it upon myself. I deserve it all. And from its very definition, the word repentance means to turn around. It means to do a 180, a complete reversal. Having an acceptance to the change that I need in my life, but not just accepting it, but a commitment to bringing that to pass, to see it happen. Let me be a servant. I'm too unworthy to be anything else. And notice this. When he comes with that heart, the father runs and has compassion. The only reason why the father ran to him was because his heart was ready to receive the father. The father would not have ran that day if there was pride and insolence in his life. As much as the father wanted him home, he said, you ain't ready to come home yet. Because if you're coming home like that, 
there's nothing I can do. God can't do anything with a heart that's not repentant. Did you hear me? God can't do anything with a heart that's not repentant and fully broken before him. But when he comes with a repentant heart, God says forgiveness. What does the Father say? Bring the robe, the ring, the sandals, the fatted calf. We read that. Look what it says. Luke 15, 22 through 24. Then the Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. In other words, reinstate him to who he was. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. But he is now what? Alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to be married. But then there was the older brother, you see. He didn't like it. And I'm not going to go there much today. But don't be the older brother. Don't be the one that says, well, they don't deserve that. They hurt me. They wronged me. Listen, give grace in the same way that you need to receive grace. Come on, forgiveness doesn't make them right. Come on, help me out in the house. But it sets you free to experience the life that God has for you. And then verse 32, the end of the story. The father says these words. He said, it was right that we should be merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He's back home and he's in a safe place. Here's point number three, almost done. True life is in the father's house. True life is only in the father's house. Now I know today the father's house is a picture of salvation. And I don't want to take from that because that's the truth. But I also believe the Father's house is a picture of church. Come on, this is the Father's house. This is where we need to be. What did David say in Psalms 122 verse 1? He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the mall on Sunday. Let's go to the movies. Let's go to the ball game. Let's stay in bed and hit snooze 20 times. He says, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why did David say I was glad when they said go to the house? Because David knew the house was a place of love. It was a place of peace. It was a place of security. It was a place of blessing. It wasn't only a place for him, but it was also a place for his family. David knew church is a place of life for him and his family around him. Look at this statement, absent from church parents will not produce church-going children. If you want your children to be in church, you be in church. Well, I wish my kids were in church. Well, are you? And you may say, well, yes, I am. Well, keep coming. And you lead your family into the house of God. You may say, oh, well, there's exceptions to that rule. You know what? You can live by exceptions all you want. I want to live by the rule. I want to live by God's word. I want to trust God. And it was about five years ago, I guess now, Pastor Dino came here and he spoke for our church, and he preached a message, why church? And there were some points that I've never forgot. He said, why church? Why go to church? Why be a part of the church? He says, because it makes me a better friend, it makes me a better person, and it makes me a better father. Why? Not only through God's word, and we know that God's word is that which transforms us, but also by godly example, that we can be around the right people. Come on, all you men in the house, you need to be signing up for go-kart on Tuesday night. Not just for the fact that we're going to have a blast. You need to sign up so you can hang around with some good godly men that you can rub off and you can have some fun together. You may say, I don't even like go-karting. Just come and hang out just to have some fun. Come on, that's a great party. You need to sign up the deadlines today. You need to sign up. Why? Because church, yes, thank God for the word, but we need to be around godly company and people that are going to fashion us and form us. What did it say? What was lost is now found. Where was it found? Back in the house. 
It was found in the father's house. Come on, we've got to run to the house. Remember the shepherds? They ran. They didn't understand it all. It wasn't what they thought it was necessarily going to be, but they ran to the house. They ran to life. They ran to Jesus. Come on, you've got to stay found. How many knows it's not just being found, it's staying found. There's a lot of pulls and a lot of things that's going to steal from us. I know church is not that which saves you, but it sure helps keeping you saved. Sure helps keeping you on track, and it's so important. Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says, Not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. That's church he's talking about, life. As some are in the habit of doing, one version says, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The end. We're in the last days, and the Bible says in the last days you need to be in the house greater than you've ever been before. The message Bible says, don't avoid worshipping together as some do, but spur each other on. Almost done. Two quick scriptures. Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against what? Anything that is built in my church. Come on, I'm telling you right now, hell won't be able to take life from you of that which you have built in the church. Build your family in the church. Build your finances in the church. That's called your tithe. Put it in the church. Put everything you have in the church. Why? Because there is no other surer place that you can put and get life than you can in the Father's house because hell will not prevail against that which is in the Father's house. Last scripture. We're going out with a bang. Here's the grand finale. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's what life is all about. That's the gift of life. That's Jesus. Are you living life? Are you living his way? Come on, choose life today. Choose Jesus. Stand to your feet today. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. No, I've gone longer than I should have today. But you got me excited today because you responded to me and I liked it. You just trust God today. But as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to ask today, and I'm not necessarily asking of the fact of, do you know Jesus? But I'm asking you today, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm asking you today if you would be honest. And I wonder how many of you would respond by lifting your hand and saying this, I'm not really living in the fullness of life that Jesus, the gift of life, wants me to have. Come on, who's going to put up their hand in this place? Come on, keep that hand up. Come on, if that's you. Come on, if you're not living for God, then your hand needs to be up because you need to give your life to Jesus. But we're talking about us who have given our lives to God, but we're not living in the fullness of what God has for us. Come on, there's more that we need to be living in. Come on, let me see those hands again. There's more. There's more that I need to be living in. You know, as your hand is up today, here's what I want to ask you. Well, what are you going to do about it? Come on, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're just going to say sorry and then just go back to straight where you were? Or are you going to repent of that thing and ask God for forgiveness and change the direction and the course of your life? Because that's what salvation is about, a change of direction and course in your life. Come on, you're going from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. That's a complete opposite direction. And I want to pray for you today. Everyone that's lifted up your hands, come on, keep them nice and high. I want to pray for you. Would you pray this prayer with me and say, Dear Jesus, I realize today I'm not living in the fullness of life. I'm choosing the pathway of the enemy. And all he can do 
is steal, kill, and destroy me. But dear Jesus, I choose life today. I choose life in you today. In the Father's house, I put my life. And I trust you, God, from this day forward, that you'll give me the strength to make the right decisions and the right choices to choose life. To choose your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this place. God, I just ask right now that they would experience life. And not just a mere existence, but a life of abundance. That God, we would have the fullness of your life inside of us. That God, we would repent, God, of those things. That we would put those things to the side. That we would live the life that pleases and honors you and only you. God, we cannot play with life. But God, we've got to surrender to you life and give everything to you. And God, I pray that you would help us open our eyes to see the things of the world. And not as what they appear, but it's death, it's damnation, it's destruction. But God, there's only one way that's life and that's you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, just turn around to a couple of people and say, come on, choose life, choose life. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.